You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I am Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCart. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This week, as we talk about Satan, you know, I was thinking, we talk about Satan a lot. I feel like, maybe not quite this directly, but I feel like he makes his presence known frequently in our podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it's because we're liberal leaning, right? And we're, these are the things that speak to us as kind of the foil for the cult of I don't know, evangelical Christian stuff. I mean, it's just, it's to me refreshing to talk about a different viewpoint. Do I really believe that Satan is Satan? I do not, but I do believe that they're presenting a different way to be, a way to view things. Um, They're doing it in a religious format, which I think is, you know, using the system to the favor of those that are protesting it. Um, So, you know, I love the vibe of the church of Satan really is what I'm talking about. There might be some Satanists that have different opinions and we don't necessarily know uh, what that's all about, but yeah, it's, it's nice to have, uh, I feel a little rebellious talking about it. And I like that. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. So this week we're going to talk about Satan wants you. This is on Amazon right now. You can rent it or buy it. I will mention that it says it's a Tubi production, but it is not on Tubi, and that pissed me off a little bit. So it was done in 2023. It's an hour and 20 minutes long, directed by Steve J. Adams and Sean Harler. There is, I'm just going to plug this. There is a short that was done by, I think, the pair of them that was only 13 minutes long that we might have to do sometime because it looked pretty fucking amazing, and I'll send it to you, but okay, we might need to do a little short guy sometime. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that Satan wants me because uh, I think I'm the kind of woman that is going to, you know, grow old and, uh, you know, I don't have anything to occupy my time because I'm independent. I make my own money and I... I do have children that live with me, but I'm not married. So, um, you know, kind of social media or whatever is currently telling me that, um, you know, I'm not where it's at. If I, if I could be submissive, that'd be great. So I think we're too old and grizzled to be trainable. (laughs) That's a problem, right? They want young women because they young women are not experienced enough to know how shitty of a partner they are. So they can train them to be like, this is absolutely the best you can get where we're like, no, no, uh, Bob in the drawer can do it better, cleaner, faster. I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> I do love that. So yeah, Satan's looking pretty good to me these days. <laughs> He's just got a, it's a good spiel, right? Just be yourself. You know, maybe there's a little dancing in the woods. I like nighttime. (laughs) I do like the nighttime. It comes fairly early these days, but. I look pretty good in firelight. Mm. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, not from the top down. It's like, it's it's flattering. That's all I'm saying. So It is. 
And I'll say in the wintertime when you don't have to dance naked, I mean, I look much better because I look better clothed than I do naked. So <laughs> I'll do the winter dancing. Someone else can okay. do the summer dancing. How's that? Okay. If you do enough dancing, you might get ripped. <laughs> or throw a hip out. Either one's possible. <laughs> That's, you raise a great point. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for my uh, fangirling over Satan and Satan stuff. So anyway. Anyway. This documentary introduces the book, Michelle Remembers. It's a 1980 release. And this is sort of the launch pad for Satanic Panic. It centers on a woman named Michelle Smith and her therapy sessions with a guy named Dr. Lawrence Pazder, um, who I shall refer to as Larry for the rest of this conversation because I love that. They call him Larry. And I'm like, Larry's a good name. That was my dad's name. So I was very excited to see one Sarah Marshall, who is a podcaster. I listened to a couple of her shows. Uh, You're wrong about being one of them, which you introduced me to. And then she also does You Are Good, which is a, a movie podcast. But anyway, It was really funny because I normally hear her voice and she's just disembodied because she's in my ears and not in front of me. So I was just like, huh, cool. That's what Sarah Marshall looks like when she's talking. Like, it's totally fine. Lovely lady. It's just really funny to hear her and watch her talk. So thank you. Because you you build up an image of what someone looks like, right? You don't necessarily see them and you build it up. And I just kind of pictured her as nondescript, right? Brown hair. She's described herself as tall, thin, brown hair. So I just imagined, you know, someone I probably wouldn't look twice at as you walk down the street. But she has very lovely, distinct um, facial features, which I think um, make her look unique. And I thought she was, you know, really pretty and it just it's not that I didn't think of her as ugly I just didn't think much of it at all and then I saw her I'm like oh she's lovely yeah yeah it was just it's so funny to see you know people that are like I just love her and like to mm-hmm. see her talking maybe somebody will feel like that about me sometime and I'm like <laughs> all right um <laughs> now I have to think back of how I've described myself probably not well I'm fairly self-deprecating <laughs> when it comes to my looks so uh Yeah, I don't think most people would look twice at me walking down the street either, so I'm okay with that. Well, we have put out a few audiograms so you can see us on camera. That was the worst. The worst. (laughs) Now I know that anytime I'm on camera, I'll have to request some kind of like candlelight action to soften (laughs) those features. I just, yeah, when I'm picking those out and I'm like, I'm going to put the video up, it's because I think the the clip is really funny. I don't really care what I look like at that point. So I apologize. You guys have to see me at my worst. So <laughs> well, that's the content, right? Like we have good content and a face for radio. So fine. <laughs> sounds great. Yep. I'm there for it. Okay. Anyway, anyway, it was a total treat to see Sarah Marshall and hear her speak. She is what I'm going to call a satanic panic pundit. We don't use that word enough, but Sarah's got it. She's, um, I think she's getting ready to publish a book, which she doesn't talk about necessarily in here, but that's been, you know, if you listen to her stuff, she's talked about that quite a bit. Uh, She discusses Michelle Remembers as extremely influential during the 80s and 90s. And that's sort of, again, where this documentary 
starts. Right. Right. She describes it as patient zero for satanic panic. Right. Like this wasn't even something people thought about until they were told, oh, it's an issue. And they're like, what? <laughs> so now it's an issue. Right. In 1976, kind of the backstory for this is uh, Victoria, British Columbia. That's where Michelle hails from. She revisits therapy with a therapist she had seen before. Um, so whatever happened in that those first sessions, rapport was built or whatnot. Um, but this time she goes back to see Dr. Pazder because she's experienced a miscarriage and she's struggling with some of those feelings. So that's what she goes in for. What does she come out with? Oh, God. Uh, so many memories of things. I mean, that she didn't even know were there. So think about living your life peacefully. And then all of a sudden you go to therapy and you come out worse than when you went in. That seems like the exact opposite of what you should be doing. And I think that that's hard for people considering therapy because they're like, um, that's the fear. Like I'm more messed up than I even realized. And part of therapy is pulling apart some of your beliefs and your thoughts and like, why do you feel that way? And some of those kinds of things. It's not for therapists to plant suggestions in your head that, you know, you believe. And that's also part of the story. So Dr. Pazder uses some kind of souped up hypnotherapy and tapes all of these sessions. What I find really fascinating is he talks about it as Michelle came up with this way to go deeper, right? So Michelle devised a technique that was deeper than normal hypnosis to go deep into her brain. And when asked, how did you devise such a technique, you know, as the lay person, if you will, she like just came about somewhere in the atmosphere. And that sounds scientifically sound. Absolutely, ma'am. That sounds legit. Right. I guess it's interesting to me that Dr. Pazder had the foresight to record all this. And it had to have been the biggest recording equipment of all time, right? Like, just a lot of clicks all the time. It would have been so distracting. But what do I know? Nothing, Erin, in your tiny lady brain. <laughs> Truth. I think it's... So what's interesting is, like you said, we lived through the satanic panic. We lived through this whole big thing of repressed memories that they were... There was this whole big thing. Like... Like Sybil, I want to say Sybil might have even started this shit, right? I think it's definitely uh, a compounding factor, whichever one came first, but it's introducing the public through trusted media because, again, people at this time can't really differentiate. I don't know that they do a great job now, but if it's on TV, it must be real. Mm -hmm. And Sally Field's an amazing actress. And that is a truly horrifying story. Um, so do you want to maybe talk a little bit about what Sybil is and how it may have contributed to some of this? So I haven't seen Sybil since the 80s. It was a book that came out and I want to say like 74 or 5-ish. And then a TV movie was made with Sally Field a year or two later. And it was about a woman who went to therapy and started remembering 
horrific abuse from her mother, physical, sexual abuse from when she was a child, right? Am I mistaken in the fact that that's where multiple personalities kind of came about as well? Yes. Um, as again, I understand that the gist is she had this horrific treatment as a kid. Um, she had to have ways to compartmentalize so she could, you know, get through life. So that is where she stored some of these memories um, associated with these different personalities. And yes, while it's not necessarily lining up with satanic panic, it is kind of reinforcing that belief that we have these recovered and repressed memories that can only be gleaned by the most skilled of therapists and psychologists. So the woman that the doctor that Sybil worked with was famous for her work. And again, I think there are shades of truth in some of this, but this is just so sensationalized. Um, so yeah. Right. Well, and per Larry's ex-wife, he had seen Sybil and he was like, I want to be that kind of doctor. I don't want to be a regular therapist. He wanted to be this kind of doctor, the kind that really I think he really wanted to help people and he thought this was the best way. He could solve more problems for people if he could do this, right? Yeah. I don't know that I give him that much credit when he tells his <laughs> wife, I want to be famous. And it's not that you can't help people and be famous, but at some point there might be a trade-off. So. Yeah. If that's your goal, then you're going into yeah. it for the wrong reasons. I don't think I heard that blurb. So that's my fault. But yeah, just that he wanted to be like that doctor. So that's when he kind of got in touch. I'm, I'm kind of hazy on the timeline. If he was seeing her again already for the miscarriage and then he was like, well, she would be a great candidate for this and then got in touch with her and then it just went downhill from there. From what I heard from Mary Lynn, who is his first wife, this is Dr. Pastor's first wife, who was there at the genesis of all this business. That's the mm -hmm. reference I'll give for her. She says he wanted to be famous like the doctor and Sybil. And he said, I have a patient that's just like that. So there was um, already that association with Michelle at this time. So were his inspirations of being famous a catalyst to this? Potentially. Potentially. We don't know. Right. And once he contacts her and they start this, what what is Michelle's reaction? I think that she is very pliable. I think that she really wants to please him because she has a little bit of a crush, potentially maybe more. Um, again, she's mourning the loss of the pregnancy. So I think probably attention is probably really welcome. So there's this kind of interplay with them. And again, you are witness to this because it is all recorded and there are clips played um, throughout the documentary and they are very good about putting uh, like the it's not closed caption but it's something like that like they're kind of uh, putting text up there so you can read along with what is being said and there's a lot of like you're more than a therapist to me and he's like I care about you and I mean there should be some of that in therapy you should have a good working relationship and trust your doctor it's really important but do you need to snuggle them <laughs> no <laughs> ew <laughs> ew indeed well what mm -hmm. i find interesting is at the beginning she's calling their house the family house at home all day 
all night long, like all the time to talk to him. Now he is still married to Mary Lynn or Marilyn. It's spelled Marilyn, but they pronounce it Mary Lynn, I think. So either way. And they have a couple kids and live together. And she is still married to her husband, Doug. They got married, I don't know, a while ago. And so it's still technically just like patient therapist, but she's becoming almost like a stalker. And Mary Lynn is like, listen, let's go to Mexico for the holidays. Let's kind of get away from it. Get your mind away from it. Let's get away from this crazy ass chick because, you know, he's been a doctor for a long time. This is the first time a patient's been calling their home line. And they go to Mexico and that worked out, right? She completely ignored them and, and they went back to normal. No, um, <laughs> she makes her presence known as per usual. So Michelle is not uh, one to go into that good night. <laughs> she <laughs> just, she can't leave him alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that perspective is told both from uh, Mary Lynn and their daughter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right. Good when, times. When they come back from Mexico, Michelle starts like showing up at events. Like they go to Edmonton for a wedding and she follows them all the way there. It's just mm-hmm. really extreme in my opinion. And I think it's difficult because did she get that way first or did he set the ball rolling? Because this is again, more than normal therapy because it's souped up hypnotherapy that somehow Michelle's come up with on her own, whatever. It is excessive. They are together with her in this emotionally heightened state of remembering for hours and hours and hours at a time. So again, that's a weird thing to cross for me. Like this guy never ate dinner. What the fuck? (laughs) Like, please. It's like, when I hear people doing therapy like that, I'm like, it's like a full-time job. I mean, they go to like, and it's not even inpatient because there's inpatient therapy as well. They discuss later, but in this case, she's just there like on the couch six to eight hours a day doing these sessions. That is a huge red flag in my opinion. I am not a therapist, but I can't imagine you're getting anything good after a few hours, right? It's just, it's got to be exhausting to some extent. It's got to be, uh, but I think this is all played into the whole thing. Like he's got to allow her space and time to remember quotey fingers, create these <laughs> memories. <laughs> She's got to feel safe enough. Quotey fingers, um, invited, pressured. I don't know to be able to produce this. So I think it's a, bit of a horrible symbiotic relationship because really the end goal was to uncover all of the memories. So maybe two hours of remembering horrible things is not enough. What, uh, what's the, what's the tale? What's the, what's the sitch here? When Michelle was about five, her mother gave her to a group of Satanists. And she was there with them for about 14 months. Now, her initial thoughts were her mother wasn't involved in the satanic. She was just, I don't know what the justification was to give her daughter away, but it was essentially, oh, she just got in over her head and she just didn't know until it was too late. Right. Right. It's almost like she was duped is sort of how I understood it. Like, I don't know how someone tricks you, but 
Michelle's mom didn't have it easy. Um, that's real. She was in an abusive relationship with, she had three daughters. Their father, um, he was a, an abusive alcoholic. Um, this is at a time you can't really just like nope your way out of that. You have to stay. Um, so she'd had it rough. So I can understand that part of the story, but giving her daughter away to a group of Satanists, a little nuts, a little bit out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she does remember, I use that term very loosely, later on that her mom actually was part of the satanic group and her job was to help keep her calm during some of these horrible things that happened to her. So what are some of the things that happened to her while she was with the group? So basically it's torture of various different kinds. She is sexually tortured. She's physically tortured. She's emotionally tortured. And at this point, I would like to relate to you my favorite of these stories. Michelle was placed in an open grave and the Satanist threw dead kittens at her. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Terrifying for a child. I will give you that. But I'm like, how many kittens? And why were the kittens dead? Like, to serve what purpose Mm -hmm. at the end of the day? Right. So there's no logic here, Erin. We can't use that. (laughs) As we've discussed. Okay. (laughs) So at one point in time, Larry had even mentioned, yeah, their whole goal was to lead to the death of everything, death, destruction, everything should die. There's, as Sarah points out later, there's so many dead babies in this book that by the end, it's just like mountainous. You know, it's just ridiculous. And that's the goal of the Satanists. And I'm like, well, okay. Well, that doesn't make sense either. I mean, it's kind of like vampires in shows that are like, we're going to kill everyone. And I'm like, well, then you're going to starve, aren't you? That just doesn't make sense at all. You're just... Right. Who is thinking about the logistics here? Do you think they work in civil engineering as well? <laughs> if it doesn't work, you just get a bigger one. <laughs> we can shut down all the roads at the same time and do construction. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, teleportation. Coming to... a. Uh... I don't know, place near you. So if you scale back or scale forward a little bit, whichever you choose, uh, Michelle does discuss that the goal is that they want her soul. And I guess they're going to terrify it out of her. Like, I'm like, why don't they just kill her? Right. And at five years old, if you're being tortured and you don't really understand the concept of a soul, right? You're fucking five. You could barely cut a straight line. So it's just the minute someone gives you a paper cut you'd be like yep take it it's fine take it (laughs) why a whole year of suffering take the soul be on your way right so there's the kitten incident they put her in some kind of satan effigy like she's put into a thing of satan and i'm like is he gonna embody her again i just want to understand is there like an agenda is there a decision tree i (laughs) a decision tree do a four square on this um, <laughs> is it like an Iron Maiden where they're like things poking in her and it's painful? Are they going to burn her like the cow thing? You know what I'm talking about where they put someone in a cow and light it on fire? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, old, the old school torture thing. Yeah. I don't know. She does kind of say that 
they're doing all this to get Satan to like pop in. Like they want a Satan visit. Mm-hmm. And Who I'm doesn't? like, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean we obviously do, <laughs> but I'm not willing to kill kittens. Okay. Mm-mm. They're very fluffy. They're so cute. Republicans. Yes. Kittens. No. <laughs> <laughs> they're so close to death. Most of those guys. So I digress. The devil ends up being summoned. Michelle witnesses this, and she is an astute and self-aware five-year-old to be like, who's the guy with the red horns? And I really hope, in my baby heart, that Satan showed up like darkness. Yes! <laughs> From legend. That's my favorite. So, um, like, how does he hold his neck up? I don't know. Those horns are real, real big. Real big. Yeah, I'm assuming they're hollow. <laughs> <laughs> Filled with chocolate. I don't know. <laughs> We don't talk about that. So Satan shows up and he's got some interesting things to say. Would you like to share with us? I don't remember what he says, Erin. Tell me. Tell me what he says. Oh, okay. okay. Well, it's not what he says. It's how he says okay. it. Okay. Can you do a voice? Um, I can't do I. But he does. He speaks in rhymes. Oh, yes. Yeah, of course. Of course he does. So the best part is. Michelle's like, yeah, and he speaks in rhymes. And they have some passages of, like, whatever the fuck he actually says, which is haunting and yet nursery rhyme-esque. Yeah, lyrical. Yeah. So he speaks in rhymes like a rapper. I was thinking jump roping. (laughs) Oh, okay. There we go. Mm -hmm. And then this is recorded. And they're also, um, Michelle and Dr. Pazder have a Catholic priest kind of on the side as a, I I don't know, confirming whatever. And the Catholic priest is like, oh my God, nobody knows that Satan speaks in rhymes. It's got to be legit. (laughs) I'm like, what? Okay. That's like the least menacing thing I've ever heard. Wouldn't it be fun if you ran back and it was a rap battle? And if you won, much like Devil went down to Georgia, oh, you would get like yes, a golden microphone. Is... <laughs> oh, that'd be fucking amazing. <laughs> can we can we make a movie about this? Somebody contact me if you're a producer, like a screenwriter. <laughs> um, we are ripe with ideas, just full of them for something, <laughs> something, it's something. Yeah. If not, if nothing else, a ten minute short. That's all I'm asking for. Anyway. <laughs> So the other thing is how, if the Satan showed up, why didn't he take her soul then, Aaron? What happened? Well, fuck. I don't know if I've got. <laughs> oh, is it possible because he got cock blocked by La Mer? <laughs> I, think, I think they said Michael, the angel Michael cock blocked, but La Mer was supportive. She was supportive. Like, just hold on. And I'm like, okay, if the Virgin Mary was going to come help you, first of all, she speaks French, guys, in case you didn't know. Not Aramaic or any of the actual languages that she would have spoken Bethlehem, but French. And she's going to come down. God's going to send the Archangel Michael and his mother, as it were, mother, daughter, partner. I don't know what she is because God's three things. And she's going to be like, just hold on, little one. You're safe with me. But they don't get her out of the fucking situation. That's what I said, too. I was like, but rescue seems to be out of the question. Yeah. And I'm like, she's a kid. 
this is not a situation like a Job-esque situation right. where it's just like, we're going to see how much you can endure before you just crack out. This is a child who's being tortured uh, for her mortal soul. So sounds great. <laughs> so that's the level of detail which Michelle is giving during her very intense and snack-free sessions is just my guess. Like, you know. So what Dr. Pazder may be doing on the side, and I don't know that we ever get great confirmation on this, it's just sort of the theory that's kind of thrown out there by people who are looking back and they're like, were these leading questions? Obviously, the more fantastic the tale, the more people are going to pay attention to it, which might translate into dollar dollar bills, because this all ends up in the book. Right. So that's something we do talk about a little bit later, but this is pretty well known now with regression therapy and memory recovery and things like that, that it's easy to feed people what you want them to say, even unintentionally right? Especially children. And we'll get to that later with children because she's an old adult survivor at this point. But also if there are rewards. So if you say something that they want to hear, you're being rewarded for that. So the more that she says, the more that he, I don't know, cuddles her or whatever, makes her feel like he wants her and is pleased with her behavior. And that just solidifies what she's doing. And I also think there's an element of like, you're not acknowledging you're not getting down into it enough and so that's where some of these really fantastic stories so maybe we start with the dead kittens and then we end up with well they sewed a horn and tail on me but because Michael came to visit all of those scars were erased because my first one was like sadly ooh, we could check that to see if Maybe that's where Michael came in. Maybe I was mistaken. I knew that Michael came down somehow and helped her. And I, yes, that is true. He did remove all the scars and any, any way to validate any of these claims out the window. Right. However, he didn't remove her from the situation, which I'm still like, cool. Sounds great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and also keep in mind, there is no way to verify that. To verify this did happen. Probably ways to verify it didn't happen. Um, but according to Larry, he's like, these are all facts. They are verifiable. And I'm like, are they though? Because no one checked. So let's talk about let's talk about some of Larry's interests. Okay. So Larry is deeply Catholic, which I have beef with later. We'll digress. <laughs> he is a medical doctor and he did spend some time in Africa. Mm-hmm. doing the Lord's work, question mark. I, <laughs> I like to say it's like Doctors Without Borders, but I I, am on, I didn't capture what it was he was doing there. I think he was doing mission work, which is the exact opposite of Doctors Without Borders. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So he was exposed to some cultural rituals that were going on for the folks that lived in these areas. Mm-hmm. And he being a creep recorded all of this with no context of what he was looking at. These are some blood rituals. Mm-hmm. This is some like animal sacrifice stuff, mm-hmm. but we don't ever find out exactly what it was. He just interpreted it like, Oh, this is Satan worship. Yeah. But don't um, they kind of interpret anything that's not worshiping God as Satan worship in theory? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. um, 
again, there's no context for what he was actually witnessing. He just put his own shit on it as colonizers do. And this also kind of reinforces anything that Michelle's saying. He was like, yep, I saw the same thing in Africa uh, with all those Satanists over there. And I'm like, I don't, don't, I'd like some information on that, please. Yeah. So he is motivated to see Satan worship because he's Catholic. And that is the opposite. Like he wants to conquer Satan. So uh, Michelle may be a vehicle to help do some of that. Yeah, he's not exactly unbiased in this situation, which you should be as a doctor, but we all have our own personal biases. It's very difficult to remove them entirely. And this really um, agreed with the narrative that he wanted, right? So he he wanted a particular outcome and they both kind of worked it to get there, whether intentionally or not, that was what happened. Right. And this was a big deal. Um they have the father, I think his name's Father Guy. Yeah. I don't know. Father Guy on the side, kind of rah, rah, rah. Um, <laughs> they also talked to his bishop, um, a guy named Remy something something. But all I caught was Remy because I was like, that's such a bitchin' name. Mm-hmm. Until you see his um, face, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. He's so uncool. <laughs> so uh, the story, again, is that fantastic that it ropes in more and more as you travel up the scale of Catholic stuff and things, hierarchy, they go, yeah, thank you. That's mm-hmm. the word. Um, <laughs> they end up getting an audience with the Pope, mm-hmm. which I'm like, cool. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Like it provides gravitas, I guess, but I'm just like, mm. yeah, whatever it's, they went and saw the Pope. They took the transcripts. So all of the tapes were transcribed by many, many typists and uh, the transcripts were taken to the the Vatican where they poured over them. And again, this fits their narrative too. So for the Catholic church to have Satanists to fight, right? You can talk about it in church all day long, but until it's real, then it's just kind of, meh, whatever. Sure, sure. But now that it's real, they're like, yes, this is our chance to fight. We're going to get us some faithful. Right. (laughs) they'll flock they'll flock um yeah so yeah it works for them really well so they're getting kind of rewarded right they're getting validation from big time religious the biggest religious organization i don't know if that's true but uh relevant for people in the states right we got a lot of catholics here not only that but when the book comes out it is sensational it is uh widely received it's a great success they're on book tours they're going to nice hotels they're eating fancy pants meals they're in limos and whatnot so seems like it worked out for michelle (laughs) like just a mere 14 months of child-related torture and then you get vaulted into like (laughs) the upper echelon there you go and you get to yeah so my problem with the upper echelon is it didn't come with a better stylist. Um, <laughs> that perm. Now I had that perm, but I was in kindergarten and it was a little more acceptable than on a 40 year old woman or whatever age she was. That was the tightest perm I've ever seen in my life. So tight. It really was. And maybe we'll say at this point, it doesn't seem like Michelle had many friends. At this point, no. It seemed like she did earlier, Mm -hmm. right? But not anymore. Yes. Um, We do talk 
to some uh, one of her sisters, Cheryl. This is Michelle's youngest sister, who we learn of her difficult childhood, right? And her, like, kind of what it was like to live in their home and some of the problems, like, her mom faced and stuff like that. Um, so Cheryl has some things to say as we go, uh, but at least we get a little bit of background from somebody who knew Michelle as a child. So not only are we doing the book tour, there's also all kinds of talk show. Uh, there's a word for that. A talk show circuit <laughs> appearances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think the public is really interested in, right? This is oh, just the, the juiciest of daytime TV. Right. This was the peak of talk shows, right? You probably had Donahue, yeah. Sally Jesse, you had Oprah, you had Geraldo. Maury. Had oh. Hulu, we had Maury. Mm -hmm. Oh, so many. So many. She even made an appearance on To Tell the Truth, which is a game show. That seemed a little tasteless in my opinion, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite part is it took me forever to figure out what that was. That's not a game show that I'm super familiar with because I was two in 1980. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't really hip and with it on all of those. But it's a panel of three women and they're talking to a panel of judges and they're like, it's almost like a two truths and a lie situation. Like which of these is presenting the story in a way that's most believable. Um, so there's a lot of video of Michelle and the tightest perm on earth. Like her head had to hurt a majority oh of the time. God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just impressed that it held that level of tight. Like mine would have fallen out within a couple of days. It would be like real tight. And then it just would have washed right out. Right. Cause my hair doesn't hold that, but not hers boy. Whew. Well, she's got them stylists. <laughs> oh God. The worst yeah. dresses too. They're so bad. And I wonder if that was on purpose. Like they dressed her kind of dowdy. It could be. I was thinking the same thing to present an yeah. image. Yeah. I mean, she's a, she's a lovely face. Mm-hmm. I think she's a pretty lady. Um, so there might have been some believability in that, but I bet you that was hammed up for the, yeah, for the audience. Like she can't be like, I mean, she can't look like she wanted Satan to come to her house. Right. I mean, <laughs> calm down a little bit. <laughs> right, right. You can't send her out there in like some kind of leather jacket or something stylish. So man pants. Um oh, glorious. So what this kind of starts the ball rolling towards is people believing that this is real. So they've coined the term satanic ritual abuse. And so now people believe this is widespread and everyone needs to look for it. So psychiatrists, therapists, cops are being trained to look for this specifically. They have classes on it where you get a lovely certificate to say you're now an expert in how to spot Satan or whatever. Blanche Barton, who is a member of the Church of Satan, said they called them cops for Christ or something like that. And I'm like, super, there's not an agenda there at all. Um, but it's just, it kind of explodes where everywhere, everything you see has to do with Satan really was his prime. As far as we know, can I just tell you, they show a very little snippet of a VHS called law enforcement guide to satanic cults. It's brought to you 
by Wilford Brimley's younger brother, Gordon L. Coulter. That is not correct. He's not got anything to do with Wilford Brimley, but he looks like him. It's like a giant mustache. Um, he's a cop and a pastor. And he's doing, these are seminars for police and social workers where, again, you're getting certified uh, by being in a room with other people for maybe a day. I don't know. Um, if you've ever been to a corporate seminar, it has real big overtones of that. Yes. <laughs> but what I wanted to tell you, Aaron, is Law Enforcement Guide to Satanic Cults is on YouTube. <laughs> and I have the link that I would like to share with you. <laughs> yeah, you do. I didn't watch the whole like hour and 13 minutes of it, but it is chef's kiss. It is so funny. He like breaks it down into, you have three categories. There's a dabbler. There's dabblers. Ooh, okay. Okay. There's your spiritualists, right? And then there's your criminal element. So, but anyway, um, I'll send that to you. Maybe, maybe we'll have to put it up on the Instagram or something. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so good. But I think, again, that's a really good way to understand how this was being treated. Like you could just, I mean, there are theologians, there are religious studies programs. I mean, religion has been a big part of human culture and evolution and all these kinds of things. It's, uh, touched a lot of lives and to just think that you could pop in understand. For an hour. <laughs> yeah you could understand something like this is so bizarre like it can't be so such a big deal that millions of people follow religion and absorbable from a bad VHS tape in an afternoon like that's so it's, it's hard for me to understand how this was like sounds great well, it, it, it legitimizes it, right? Mm -hmm. All these things are legitimizing this and making it real. And my favorite part is they're like, okay, well, there were babies being killed. How is it that no one knows? And they're like, listen, they, what did Larry say? The Orthodox Satanists, you know, they would um, kill the baby and then burn it. Of course, there'd be no trace left behind. And I'm like, okay, you're killing a lot of a lot of babies and a lot of things and there's no trace left behind that's impressive and no one has leaked this. he's like it's all secret if anyone tells anything they die they get killed so i'm like no one can keep a secret that well i don't know why people think there's such these huge conspiracies and there i'm not saying not all conspiracies are wrong some of them have been found to be true but for the most part people can't keep secrets you get someone drunk just a little bit and they're going to talk <laughs> shit all day long Right? That's a really funny picture in my mind where you're just sliding like a buttery nipple across to somebody and be like, <laughs> so how was your weekend? Like, <laughs> you smell like campfire so or what? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> so let's talk some more about these crazy ass stories that we're coming up with, because now that Michelle's come forward, if you were a 30 year old mom, you're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> Like, please don't go talk to a therapist because it is straight down for you into this quagmire again. Like, there are women going on all again, all of the talk shows. There are articles being published, blah, 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 blah. There's other books. Why is I'm it sure. only women? 
by the way, also. Well, weird. for one thing, you can't get an 11-year-old boy pregnant and then force <laughs> that person to have a baby and then force True. that person to then kill and eat their own baby, which was mm-hmm. all rampant mm-hmm. in this. And I'm like, you're telling me that you, A, didn't remember having a baby. Pretty sure that's pretty memorable. At the ripe old age of 11 with no health care. I don't know. Maybe we had some nurses among the Satanists. We don't talk about these details. We raised a baby. There's a lot of investment in here. And then we killed a baby and we ate a baby. There's a great, I agree with you. So many babies. Um, but I'm really glad that there are crematoriums and whatnot. So, but again, the most fantastic stories are coming from these very creative women. I don't know, at the behest of some unethical practitioners of mental health stuff. Well, and let's talk about the numbers for a minute. So at one point, I guess they claimed that 2 million babies a year were being killed by Satanists in the U.S. So apparently this is just a North America problem. I appreciate that. Because it started in Canada, moved down here, and we just kind of claimed ownership like we do of everything. But there were only 3.71 million children being born every year. So that makes it 54% of the population being born is being sacrificed to Satan. That's a huge number. And if Satan hasn't shown up yet, I say fucking give up. Because (laughs) you can't kill more than that. And also, no one noticed all the missing dead babies. They're just like, well, it's just a number that's been given to us and we believe it. That's a large number. I think someone in your circle would have noticed at least one child missing. Agreed. And there are a lot of good commentators on this. I think that statistic is brought to us by a guy named Charles Ennis, who sounds like a really cool cat. He's a policeman and a detective and also like a Wiccan priest or something that was like not hiding it. (laughs) Like um, he was declared. I don't know what you want to call that. And so he's in the background of a lot of this going, what? anyone paying attention to what's being just, you know, verbally vomited all over the public here. Um, Nobody's got any consideration for, are we checking into this? What are we doing with these numbers that we're just throwing out at people and expecting them to believe? Right. Another cat was Ken Lanning. He's FBI special agent. He talked about how he had never even heard of any satanic ritual abuse cases or anything like that before like 1983. And then it was just like everywhere. This was happening everywhere. And so, you know, he starts looking into this. He starts talking to people. He goes to a convention where uh, Michelle and Larry are speaking for cops and they start talking about it. And as cops do, they start asking questions. They're like, so what about this? What about this? And, Every time a question was asked, Michelle just looked to Larry and Larry answered. And so eventually Ken puts his hand up. He's like, hey, this story happened to her. Why are you answering for her? And Larry's answer was something along the lines of, well, when she came to me, she didn't remember anything. We went through this process over a year. She remembered everything. We transcribed it. And then the memories were gone. So now I'm the keeper of the story. Is that how memories work they just come and go at a whim well i do say they got a memory scientist to discuss some of these things and maybe how things how memories work a little bit we didn't like spend a lot of time with her but it was really good to understand 
how this, how there was the big misconception here. And so I appreciated the fact that documentarians brought in a little bit of fucking common sense. A lot of common for some sense, of this yeah. stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just it was it was interesting to hear her her perspective. Let me see. Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Loftus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Elizabeth Loftus, the memory specialist scientist. So I kind of liked her. So Michelle and Larry are taken as experts. If we haven't already said that they've doing all the speaking, they're putting this message out. Um, more and more people are coming forward. Mind you, uh, they got paid handsomely for this book. They got a, like a $250,000 advance and then whatever it was for the selling. And it was translated to all kinds of languages. And again, the commercial success of this was probably perpetuated by the continued appearances and like kind of the, I don't know, trend that this was stirring up. It was everywhere. God help you if you had to take your kid to daycare, which was another big place where the Satanists found your children. Um, You didn't necessarily have to have a Satanist that was fertile. And then the year long process to get that baby around, um, you could just like hop over to a daycare Mm -hmm. and have access to children there. Yeah, that was, it's very disturbing when you read about it and how bad it got. So Elizabeth talks about that a little bit. Um, She talks about the McMartin case, which is one of the more famous ones in California. They were a daycare. I think it was a mother and a son that ran a daycare. And um, they they were accused of sexually abusing and satanic ritual abuse, if you will, of a lot of kids. They talked to these kids special therapists came to help these kids remember what happened. Actually, Michelle went down to help them talk about and figure out what happened. And again, these are kids. So think about, think about talking to a kid and being like, so what did they do when you, nothing, they didn't touch you here. They didn't touch you there. What did they put here? What did they put out in one case? Not this one in particular, but a different case. They say that the daycare provider put a sword in them. Well, that's exactly what a kid would say when you're like, what else? What else? A fucking sword, right? I mean, these are kids. And some of the things that they say is very kid-like and they're just trying to give you what you want because they were asking these questions. And when you get asked and then you get rewarded for giving them more and more fantastical things, uh, it just, it's so disturbing because people legitimately went to prison for these things. Right. There's elements of false confessions in this as well, which I think we've hit on a couple times because they're leading you. Again, this is pretty emotionally charged, especially kids who are talking to a doctor or a therapist are going to want to please them because that's what kids have been instructed to do their whole lives before this. And so, but again, it's just this extreme outrageous stuff. The kids were taken off site. Some kid, I mean, kids were sold into prostitution. Like those are, that's weird logistics for like, the eight hours that you're at daycare, they were forced. They watched animals being killed because they had to keep their little baby mouth shut. They drank urine. It was just all this kind of crazy shit. And I'm just like, to be a parent and to think that that might have actually happened to your child would be very scary. But from our perspective, it's like, did we not have a better way to like suss that out? (laughs) So what's interesting is, first of all, five-year-olds can't keep a secret to save their life, right? Kids can't. Again, with the, they can't keep secrets. But 
I'm not sure if it was during Satanic Panic or something else on the You're Wrong About podcast that Sarah had talked about the fact that like abuse of children in like prior to this, if kids spoke up, it was like pushed aside. Like the fact that anyone in your family would ever abuse, it's just not unheard of. That can't possibly happen. Right. And so when they realized that it actually was happening and no one listened to the kids, they kind of went in the extreme opposite direction of you don't question the kids. They, everything they say is factual. So there was no happy medium. It was nothing they say is true to everything they say is true. It was, I understand why they did it. And again, I understand, like you said, as a parent to be terrified, you you'd want to figure out what happened, but also it was just way too far on the other side. Right. And even some of the science, and again, I know this uh, from other sources is like, if, if kids had problems with wetting the bed, that was another sign that they'd been sexually abused. Kids that age, I mean, that's not set in stone. Sometimes they have accidents. I mean, they were really doing some invasive exams on these children to see if they'd been sodomized or whatever. And like the things that indicated that they had been have later been proven to not necessarily be conclusive. It's just sort of like, kids have problems in the bathroom department. Um, It's not a thing that we can charge people with. So it's like they went, they were trying to find testimonials. They were trying to find evidence, but the science wasn't there to back it up. And the public was freaking out. And so the answer was to put Satanists, 40 fingers in jail, whether that was correct or not. Right. But there, I mean, there's, there were real consequences for this. Right. And unfortunately they went into it, like you said, they went into it to make the data fit the narrative they wanted it to fit. (laughs) Yes. And it's easy to do that because you Mm -hmm. know what you want it to look like. It's easy to skew things to make it look like that. Mm -hmm. That's, it's bad science. And in this case, people got hurt in the process. So they do talk a bit more about how the satanic panic lasted through the eighties, well into the nineties. I think the West Memphis three is a really good um, indicator of the nineties of satanic panic because those three cats had, I mean, they listened to metal music. So clearly they were up to no good. Um, That's yes. An indicator, if you will, Mm -hmm. to which my son, when I was watching this is like, are you a Satanist? I'm like, if only I'm that cool. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, again, what is the thought on that? There's a lot of, imagery that's dark. There's a lot of dark imagery in heavy metal. I don't know if it's as prominent today, but I mean, like, God, think of all those album covers and, you know. Okay. But they used to say Kiss was satanic. Have you listened to the lyrics of their songs? They're the fucking cheesiest (laughs) rock songs ever. (laughs) Ever. They had makeup. They had makeup. And like. And and real big shoes. Biggest space boots. Yes. (laughs) So, um, Look, parents have had beef with the the music of children forever. Kids with any kind of agency over themselves and their own tastes and and whatever is scary for parents um, and older generations. So that to me is no, like absolutely not. I don't buy into that at all. Mm -hmm. And I don't love mumble rap, but I support my oldest listening to it. Um, (laughs) It's got some sweet, some sweet beats. So whatever, you know. Yeah, some time ago, I got to turn on some K-pop. I mean, that's what I got to clean to. <laughs> Get me moving. Right. Okay, so let's talk about how 
we've already discussed how this is a little unethical to the extent that Larry might have been feeding Michelle a little bit. She might have been also feeding into his desire to have this be true. What else was unethical about their relationship, Erin? Okay, so look, I've been to therapy. <laughs> have you? See, now I I'm going to think have a couple you? times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe therapy light is a good way to say this. I didn't get that service, goddammit. Right. Oh, yeah. So once these therapy sessions got to their culmination, I don't know. They are snuggling with shirts off. And we know that because there was an article that was published after the book. And they're like hanging out. And she's like in her bra with her pants on. And he's shirtless. And I'm like, is this is this a romance novel cover? <laughs> so that exists. So we know that they were there was physical comforting going on. Um, there was a, a building of that from like hand holding to like a hug to a full on kind of shit you would do if you were freezing to death and you needed to share body heat. That's the only <laughs> good thing <laughs> that I can tell yeah. you. Yeah. So, and all, again, all of this is captured in the transcripts. We hear mm -hmm. it. We, you know, so they have a little bit of a relationship building, if you want to say it like that. So that was part of it. Right. And his justification was that she was going through such traumatic memories and she was very um, upset. And so the only way to continue getting those memories was to comfort her. So she felt safe doing it. Well, I'm glad she didn't get hysterical. So he had to get out the, <laughs> the vibrator, vibrator stuff. I mean. <laughs> she might have uh, appreciated that more I don't know good for her girl yes <laughs> Doug seemed like a great cat but I don't know if she was getting it so uh, why not yeah <laughs> yeah they're still married to other people at this yeah. at that point right so there's no record of them or, or they've not discussed that there was any like sex during therapy sessions before they divorced their respective partners and then married each other. But the fact that they did even what they did and then got married really calls into question everything. I mean, it, it was already questionable. This just makes it even more questionable, in my opinion. Yeah, a lot of the people that we speak to, Ken, the FBI agent, was one um, in particular that was like, when I found that out, it really lost credibility for me. I, I think he was already on the, I Thanks. think he was already yeah. on to them. <laughs> Yeah. So, yes, it just loses. It just loses a lot of its yeah credibility. I don't know a better way to say it. Yeah. So Marilyn, the ex of Dr. Larry, sent our friend Ken a letter. She gets this hold of his name somehow. She didn't realize that people had been put in prison for this. She didn't realize kind of the explosion that happened from this book. And once she did, she was like, oh, hell no. We need to help these people if we can. So she starts doing research and she sends information to Ken to help him research as well. But so she's in Victoria. She talks to neighbors. She goes to libraries. She looks at registries. She goes to the school to see if our young Michelle was in school the year she said that she was held captive by Satanists. And there she was in the fucking yearbook. Yes. So it's a public record that she's not being whisked away. She's present. 
And it's discrediting, right? It's discrediting the story. It's discrediting all of it. And that's kind of happening in conjunction with some other shit that's gone down. So probably the only time in history, in my opinion, that the insurance companies have been on the right side of something. Once. Yeah. The one time. (laughs) Yeah. So mind you, these long ass therapy sessions are covered by some insurances. So I think the people who investigate these things are kind of like, what gives? So because it's such an expense to the employers and insurance companies, they're kind of examining, is this real? What's really happening in these sessions? And it's finally kind of, it comes out, it's pulled out that it's just not great therapy. It's just not good science. It's just Mm -hmm. not really something that we're willing to pay for anymore. Yeah. I mean, basically, (laughs) and there's some crazy stories. Um, Again, back to the talk shows, which are the best. There's a guy that's like, well, a woman goes in and then her children get pulled into therapy and then her sister and her mom. And like, it's just, it's this big cascading thing. And they're like, were the therapists complicit? Did they know what they were doing? Right. Did they really just believe in this? And like, you know, right. It's hard to say. And if you ask Blanche, she blames the therapist for most of it. She's like, if they were not so unethical and jumping on this bandwagon so they could make money and, and filling people's heads with stuff, you know, we might not have been in this place. Right. So I think that that's interesting. I don't know how long it took, but um, kind of some sense came out of a weird spot. So um, I do like that Blanche talks a little bit about um, Mr. LeVay. I don't. Anton LeVay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and there's some good footage of him because mm-hmm. that's officially Church of Satan, which is mentioned in the book at some point. And he's like, no, I'm going to need you to take that out because we're, we're a recognized religion here. You can't just kind of uh, defame us as it were. You can't just throw a bunch of shit out here about our practices and that kind of thing. Like we're just not going to tolerate that. And it was removed Satanists are still mentioned, but they don't specifically call out the church of Satan. So kind of interesting. And you get to see some good footage of him and like talking about stuff. And that's so fun. He has the best eyebrows. Oh, so good. Yeah. It's interesting because she does explain that, you know, I don't believe, well, the church of Satan at least doesn't necessarily believe that there's an actual being called Satan, right? They're not worshiping Satan. They are they're there to celebrate their uniqueness. They're there to celebrate life and living because this is the only one you have. So let's not be saddled with guilt and bullshit about a second life. Let's have pleasure. Let's enjoy it. And, and, and even now they have reproductive centers in states where abortion has become illegal. They have opened abortion clinics because it's their religious right. And I love that. They help fund other reproductive groups in other states they have after school satan <laughs> care where they at, at certain schools because again it's a religious thing so they have to be allowed to do it and um they just go in and they do like experiments they do science they do logic stuff they just t- teaching kids how to think logically and i'm like i would sign my kid up for that if it were offered here but yeah Right. It's got a bit of a harm none vibe too. It's not, um, you know, you're not taking your pleasure uh, 
at the expense of someone else. Correct. It's just sort of a, a, a foil to the mainstream, like, well, you know. Um, so it is really interesting to see the the stuff that they've come up with. And I I don't know, Erin. I think maybe 2024 yeah. is going to be my year. I, I follow <laughs> them on many social media accounts, and I interact with them in that. So there is a local chapter. Um, maybe we'll have to go to a, a group. Oh, my God meeting at some point. I know. Right. And I do love that because the church is all about the the regular church, like Christianity, Islam, Judaism, all of those tend to be more about control, control. So they can control the masses to do what they want them to do. And then I guess you'll get into heaven or some stupid shit like that. Whereas the church of Satan is like, we don't need to control you. You're a grown ass adult. You're fine. You know? (laughs) And I appreciate that. But Aaron, um, with all of these problems with Satan, what is the answer? Well, you got to come back to God. I don't know. It's yeah. there's something specific you're looking for, and I don't feel like I was no, like. No, it's it's essentially it balloons. Is I don't know. <laughs> yeah, balloons are the answer. Yeah, not mylar. Those are bad. Oh. Okay. No, it. Yeah, it's it's again the church creating a problem that only they can solve. Thank God they're there to solve it because we find out the church subsidized this book as well. So truth, truth. Yeah. So objectivity be damned. Mm-hmm. So we get past satanic panic. We move on. Thank you, insurance companies, for this one thing you've done in our lives. And it becomes almost like a joke, right? When you think about it now, I mean, you think of the church lady, you think of, um, we just kind of talk about it in jest, but people were legitimately harmed by it and put in prison. The West Memphis Three just recently got out of prison and they weren't declared innocent. They were declared, uh, you've spent enough time. We suppose we let you go because the state knew that they were wrong, but they weren't willing yeah. to admit it. Yeah. Alford plea, right? So it's just sort of a <laughs> toss up. I don't know what you yeah. call it, but yeah. I think one of the best things, uh, there's a lady named Debbie. I didn't catch her last name, but she's a journalist. And she's saying, if you think this is over... You are not looking around hard enough because there's a lot of this that's reminiscent of what we see in Pizzagate, of what we hear in QAnon. All of these missing kids, again, in high numbers. Nobody has to justify where these numbers come from. They just exist. And save the children. Save the children. We hear that all the time. Right. These are in the conspiracies of today. Mm-hmm. Listen to Smalex Jones. I oh, mean, if you please don't dare. Um, but this is one of those examples of if we don't learn from the past, we're doomed to repeat it. Right. So this baby eating thing is a very old recycled slur against your enemies. That's just, that's just accurate. You know what I mean? Like many instances of that have come around and it is horrifying. And that's why it grabs your attention. Cause you're like, who would dare? And the answer is no one, <laughs> like, no one would. Right. Babies squirm a lot. They're very noisy. I really don't think that they would be cooperative for sacrifice. So no, but making candles, they're good for that. <laughs> Nothing else. That's what all the Satanists of this, this year have. I mean, they have to mm-hmm. have those baby wax candles. <laughs> if I don't get one for Christmas, God damn it. I know. I know you guys don't love me. It just smell like baby powder. That's what I assume. A stripper. <laughs> so... One cat pointed out, if you disagree with the people claiming that they were uh, victims of satanic ritual abuse, you are either a Satanist or you hate babies, right? There's there's no in between. You have to agree with them or you hate babies. 
and probably eat them. Can I say the clip of the guy going, are you calling me a Satanist? There's like two yeah. men in suits on one of these shows and they're having a argument. And one's like, are you calling me a Satanist? And the other guy's like, well, you're acting like a Satanist. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, commit or don't. You can't. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm not calling you a bitch, but I'm saying you're acting like a bitch. So. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. Uh, Stand up for your beliefs, my man. Do it right. Tippy-toe, tippy-toe. It was mm -hmm. so funny to me. So anyway, yeah. Anyway, Michelle and Larry got married. Once they were married, they kind of quit the scene, as it were, because Michelle didn't really want to be a part of it. She just really wanted Larry, and she got Larry. And I think he instantly regretted that decision. Absolutely. <laughs> He's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He died in 2004 of a heart attack. Probably just to get away from her. I don't know. But no one has... She's not really come out. She's not really talked to anybody about it. She declined to be part of this documentary. So... And Cheryl, her youngest sister, they've not really reconciled. She's never come clean to them. And there is a resentment there that Michelle brought their mom into this. Like, And so I think that that's really interesting. I, I know people who are like, well, it's over with now. And it's fine. You know what I mean? Like it's not my reality anymore or whatever, but there, there's not, there may not be a reconciliation there or I don't know. It's just weird. Right. Her mom had died before this all came out. So it was easy yeah. to say these things without That's true. any kind of retribution. Right. But there were people who, whose kids accused them of sexually abusing them who weren't sexually abusing them and they got arrested and then had to, you know, fight to get out and they did so most of these charges were overturned most of them were found innocent after the fact but they did spend years in prison first and there was very little i mean no one's going to remember that this person was released they're going to remember that they were put in prison for satanic ritual abuse and so you grew in these people's lives and the relationship between the kid and the parent and it's just horrible it really a lot of harm came from this as right. much as we like to laugh about it a lot of harm came from this yeah. And the nice part is America then learned their lesson. Like, we're not going to do this stuff oh, anymore. No more no. moral panics for you. <laughs> no moral panics for you. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. All's well that ends well. Absolutely not. Uh, we cannot get out of our own way for this. Yeah. Yeah. So we're right back where we started, guys. Get ready for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Right on, right on. Okay. Did you have an honorary Aaron for this episode? I do kind of have two, so I'm going to have okay. to go with one. I'm going to go with Marilyn because when she found out about um, the pseudo relationship that was gone a little too far, but maybe not to the extent of uh, adultery um, with her husband and Michelle, she's like, fuck that. She went and got a divorce and raised her kids. And then later on, when she found out there was harm being done, she's like, fuck that. I'm going to solve this problem and I'm going to help them. And she has strong, independent Aaron energy. We're going to have to come up with something different because I picked her as well. <laughs> Do you want me to go with my other pick? <laughs> yeah, I agree. She showed a lot of backbone here, not only for herself, but for, you know, this whole, she had some knowledge that was covered, right? Nobody else had sort of the origin story of this. And she said, absolutely not. We will do the right thing. Yep. So they did. And that's really cool. Who was your second? 
Sarah Marshall, just because I love her. Oh, yes. <laughs> because she approaches each topic without extreme prejudice. I feel like she's a really good researcher. She tries to give people the benefit of the doubt, even if they don't deserve it. And then, I mean, she, she'll she say they don't deserve it, too. She's not completely unjust. But it's just like, yeah, I just love her. And I love the podcast. So uh, Sarah Marshall can also be an honorary Aaron for the week. Oh, and forever. We love you, Sarah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. It was a quick watch. It's interesting to look back at something that uh, I was peripherally involved in, right? So I was around it. I wasn't necessarily into it. Um, I do think I'm going to ask my mom some questions to see, like, as a parent of a small child, when this would have happened, how much she freaked out about picking a daycare or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, my mom never had to put us in daycare, so it wasn't really an issue. And latchkey kids were a big thing then, so, you know. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was also curious what she remembers. I remember them saying that if you played, I don't know, one of Ozzy Osbourne's albums, I think, backwards, it told you to worship Satan or some stupid shit, right? It, mm-hmm. it, was, it was very horrible. Uh, mm-hmm. You can barely understand it going forward, so I'm sure that... Yeah. Also, he doesn't seem smart enough to come up with that kind of strategy. So <laughs> maybe his producers. I don't know. <laughs> could be. Could be. Oh, All well. right. All right. So what are we going to do next week? Okay. Um, next week, we will cover telemarketers. Some buzz going on about this one. Um, it's a 2023 release. You can find it on HBO. It's three episodes, which is a little, again, long for us, but it's dark at five o'clock here and there's nothing else to do. <laughs> so I will happily spend about three hours checking into this because, uh, yeah, I think it sounds like a cool story. We've heard from a, we've heard about this from a couple different fun resources. So I'm excited to hear and take a look and see what's up. Yeah, me too. I did work at a telemarketing place for about five minutes in the 90s. So <laughs> I can, I can empathize. Just a tiny, tiny smidge, but yeah, it's such a weird environment. So bizarre. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad you guys came along. I loved this episode, uh, this documentary, and I hope you guys liked it. And we will talk with you next week. Have a good week, guys. Sounds great. Later. Bye. Bye.